I wonder what kind of church would my church be if every member was just like me. How many souls would be saved today if it all depended on what I say? I wonder how many prayers would my Lord have to answer if all that he heard came from me? I wonder what kind of church would my church be if every member were just like me? So I want you to think about that concept. And I want you to think about the word church. And when I say the word church, what is it that comes in to your mind? You know, a lot of times what we think about when we think about the church, we think about this place. We think about this building. Or maybe we think about a building years ago that we uh, attended in our life. When I think about the church, I think about a lot of things, but one of the particular places that I think about is a little country church in McNabb, Arkansas. The church is no longer in existence. In fact, a family uh, there in the little community of about 68 people. Did you? I, I said that right. McNabb population is 68 people. Okay. But years ago, it was a church, and people from all around the little communities around there would gather in that little place. It was a three-room building. The biggest room, obviously, was the little auditorium. And I remember as a child, we would go there uh, prior to opening day of deer season. Our deer camp was about a mile down the road. But my great-grandmother lived across the street from this church, and she attended that church for many, many years. And I remember some Friday evenings that we would gather in that place for what they would call an area-wide singing. And I remember so many people packing that place, probably a hundred or more people, and that was full. And we would raise the roof of how loud we would sing praises to God. And I remember the sweet people there and how after church was over, everybody was together. They loved to talk to people and welcome everybody. I mean, it was just a great little church. But something happened to that little church that happens to a lot of little churches. They grew older instead of younger, and eventually it got down to just one or two families, and they decided that they would go to church somewhere else because they just couldn't keep it going, and the church closed its doors. That's a sad, sad state, but that happens a lot of times in little country churches. How many of you can recall in your mind or memory this morning going to a little country church to see family or friends? Raise your hand. Keep them up. Oh, look at that. Now, church, look around. I mean... Everything just hasn't been here at Lamar Avenue or other places, right? And so you take those memories with you. This morning, as we think about the church, I am begging and I am pleading with you to get one thing out of your mind, and it's this. I want you to get the building out of your mind. Not that there's not some beautiful church buildings. There are. I love to go look at church buildings. Okay, But in essence, when we're talking about the church, we're not talking about the building. Okay, And so I want that 
to get out of your mind, and I want you to listen to some of these words, and what we're going to do this morning as we begin, I want to start in Ephesians chapter 1, and I want to give you some bedrock foundational things about the church. That's what, what's important about it, what ought to stick out in our mind, and what we really ought to believe about the church. And so I want to start in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Paul says, as he's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus. In accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Now before we move on, I want to make a couple of uh, things about Ephesians chapter 1. So, when you think about the church, rather than thinking about the building, Doug reminded us this morning in 1 Corinthians 12 that the body is a unit. And it is made up of many parts. Just like your human body is made up of your eyes and your hands and your feet and your ears and every other body part, some that I won't mention, but there's a lot of parts to your body. The church is a body. It's a unit. And church, I want you to look around this morning and let's be reminded of this truth. As a body of believers, we belong to Christ, who's the head first, but we also belong to each other. We'll come back to that in a moment. But do you see what Paul says to this church? He says some very important things. In verse 4, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. He adopted us as his sons through Jesus Christ. There's not another group that you can belong to where you're going to be adopted and where you're going to be into and grafted into the body like the church. And that is, that's because it's God's plan, it's God's design from the very beginning that he chose us, that he bought us, that he redeemed us, and that he has set us on a path to live life for him and not just for ourselves. And so he goes on to say that we've been chosen. Verse 11, And all this has been put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Then I want you to hear this thought as he continues in chapter 2, beginning in verse 19, this thought of being one in Christ. He says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you are fellow citizens with God's people. And you're members 
of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Did you hear that last part? We, together, as the body of Christ, are being built to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. We've been bought, but we've been bought with a price. And because of that, Paul says, so you are no longer a foreigner, you're no longer a stranger, but you have a place at the table. And because of that, he uses a phrase that's beautiful. He says, you are a fellow citizen with God's people. Church, look around. We're a body. We're a unit. We're made up of many parts. We belong to each other. And the beautiful part is, we are fellow citizens with God. Now, what did you and I do? To buy into that what did you and I do to deserve that nothing that is the plan that God has for his people we are a called out people we've been called out to live not in this world and not to be about this world but we've been called out to live for something far greater than ourselves yes believe it or not even in the church, and so many times we get sidetracked, and so many times we get off track and we get off mark of what really needs to take place in the body of Christ. But one of the beautiful things that takes place in the body is the fact that we've been bought by the blood of Jesus. And we've been redeemed. We have a Redeemer. We've sung about that this morning. We've sung about the idea of being called out and what that looks like. And we have a responsibility. And he continues that thought in chapter 3. And I want, you, I want to pick up in verse 7. He says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. And although I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me. In other words, Paul's saying, man, if anybody doesn't deserve his grace, it's me. It's Paul. But he says, but he gave it to me. He lavished it on me. And he did that in such a way that I am the least of all the Lord's people, but this grace was given me, and it was given to him, just as it's given to us, and here's the reason, to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past, was kept hidden in God, who created all things. But look at verse 10. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we can approach God with freedom and confidence. And I ask you, Therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your 
glory. Go back to verse 10 for just a moment and look what he says. His intent was that now, through the church, through the body, through this unity, through this community of believers, that the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. Boy, when I read that, I can't help but walk away and say, wow, what a responsibility we have in the church. What a responsibility we have as we live out these riches, as we live out these gems, these truths that have been given to us. And it's beautiful, isn't it, church? And in chapter 4, notice how Paul says this. As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And I want to stop right there for a moment. Are there people right now in this body of believers that you need to be patient with? You can laugh or you can shout amen or you can say, oh yeah. But the truth of the matter is, yes. And that's, that's evident because we're humans and we're going to mess up. But in the church, the way we do church and the way we live out our faith, Paul says, you don't have a choice in the matter. You've got to be patient with one another. You've got to be completely humble with one another. Are there people in the church that we just have to bear with? And the church said, are there people that we just have to put up with? And I don't mean that in a derogatory sense, but are there people that we put up with in love? Are there people that we bear with in love? Absolutely. Again, that's the human side of the church. But look at verse 3. You make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then in chapter 5, I'm not going to read a lot of this, but I do want to make note of this. We talked about this in our class this morning as well. When you start in verse 21, where Paul says, you submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I would say submission to God or submission wives to your husband or submission in any realm it's not difficult if you first and foremost submit out of reverence to Christ. Now when you get that out of whack, then submission is very difficult. When you submit to Christ first, and Paul says that, you submit to Christ out of, out of reverence for Him. Submit to one another out of reverence for Him. And when you start looking at that section on wives and husbands, when you start looking at that, do you see what he compares it with? He compares the marriage relationship between a husband and a wife 
To what? To the church and the life in the church and what that looks for and how the church died for, Christ died for the church and he bought it and all of these precious, beautiful things. There's a great analogy there. And I think the analogy that, that we've got to look at and take note of this morning is when the church functions as God intends, now listen to this, nothing else on earth works quite like it. And let me say that again. When the church functions as God intends, nothing else on earth works quite like it. When the church is dysfunctional, it's a mess, right? The church, let me remind you of something. It only becomes dysfunctional or it only becomes a mess because of us. Would you agree? And when you look at the passages, the little story that I took you on through that, when you look at that, no mention of a building, is it? And I'm not knocking a building. This is a comfortable place to come and worship and to call, you know, this is where we are, right? But you know what? When you look at Acts and the persecution of the church comes and the church scatters, Man, on, on one hand, we can say, man, that was a terrible time for the church. On the other hand, I would say that's one of the best things that's ever happened to the church because it scattered and it went. And as it went, guess who went with it? People did because we're the church. And as it went, growth took place and lives were changed and hearts were touched. And people began to realize, you know what? This is not about me. This is about making the, the mystery of God known. And church, when you think about that, that we have that awesome responsibility to make the mystery of God known through the body of Christ, it ought to challenge us and it ought to cause us to rethink our love for the church and our love for Jesus Christ. Because when you stop and think about it, when the church is really functioning and doing well, the bride of Christ is not an organization, it's an organism. It's not about all the programs as much as it is the health and growth of all the people. And when we submit to God and serving together in true, authentic community, the church is a family that will surround people with strength and grace. And it breaks my heart, and it's sad to say, but sometimes we don't come away feeling that way, do we? I'm going to be honest with you this morning. Some of you get on to me for not sharing my heart more. I'm going to share my heart, okay? When I stand up here as your preacher, I see it all. I'm not trying to scare you on that, but I do. I see it all. I see moms that are struggling with their kids. I'm grateful we have kids in this church, amen? I see older people struggling with their health. And I'm grateful that they're here. Because, I mean, they went to great lengths to be here. 
and it would be way too easy for them to say, oh, I'm too tired, I'm worn out because it's literally taken me two or three hours to get ready to come here this morning. I applaud them that they are here. Aren't you, church? Thank you. Love that. Sometimes I see people who are tired spiritually, physically, just worn out. Maybe you've gone to a lot of doctor's appointments like the Woodalls or other families in this church. It wears you out, doesn't it, Weber? But he's here. I applaud that. I applaud other people that come when they probably have every reason in the book why they shouldn't or why they couldn't or why they wouldn't want to, but they do. I applaud that. But you know what really makes my heart just sick and cry at times? When we don't get along. I mean, let's be honest. The last couple of years in the life of this church, it's been difficult, hasn't it? It's been hard. But we're still the church. We're still the people that God's called. We're still His bride. We're still that temple. But I'll be honest with you, sometimes the way we talk to people, the way we don't talk to people, the way we act, the way we react, sometimes are ways that we need to repent for and say, you know what, Lord, I need to do better. Because in the church, that stuff's not, there's no need for that, is there? Maybe that's why in all the letters that Paul writes, maybe there's that, Remember, maybe there's that string of things there where Paul is saying you need to grow up, you need to mature. And I think his point is there are things that you need to grow up about and there are things that you just need to leave alone. I mean, as we say in our families, I mean, is it, are certain things really worth going to the carpet over? But when you think about it, man, sometimes in the church, man, we have our pet peeves, don't we? And we have those things that we're going to fight for, that we're going to die for. And at the end of the day, I want to ask the question, is it really your place to do that? No, it's not. It's Jesus' place. And what he's doing is he's just inviting us to be a part of that. And I think the challenge that not just this church faces but every church that I know of, and I know of a lot of churches, and so do you, but there's a common thread that I'm hearing from church leaders all across the nation, and it's this. What do we do in our churches to get our people to talk to each other? What do we do in our churches to get the different generations to mix and mingle and to learn that, man, we don't need a church all made up of 20s, do we? We don't need a church all made up of 80s. We need a church all made up of all ages and all colors and all races and all ethnicities. We need it all, don't we? You know why? Because that is a picture of the body of Christ. Boy, I'm really sharing it today. Some of you may think I'm sharing too much. I don't really care. I'm going to share it, okay? Church, I guess my plea this morning is this we got to do better. Amen? we got to do better not just with each other. We've got to do better in our own relationship with Christ. 
Because after all, what we're striving to be about is to have that relationship first and foremost with Jesus himself, and we want that relationship to spread to other people. It can happen. I know we're tired, I know we're weak, but you know what? It's, I'm going to use Coach's analogy. It's like halftime. Coach, at halftime, what did you tell the team? Let's load on the bus and go home? I don't think Coach Stallings would have said that. What do you tell the team at halftime? Let's keep fighting. Let's keep going. Let's get after it. We may be losing right now on the scoreboard, but you know what? In our score, we never lose, church. We're victorious. We win. We win that battle because God's won it for us. But you know sometimes the battles that we lose, we lose the ones among each other because we can't learn to get along. Because we can't learn. You know, I would, I would venture to say this morning, there's probably somebody in this room that you probably need to go up and hug, say, I'm sorry, say, I love you, a pat on the back. I'm telling you right now, whatever differences that you may have with somebody, get over it. It's not worth it. Okay? It's not. You spend a month in the hospital rooms in Dallas or Paris or wherever, let me tell you, you begin to realize when you come back to a place like this, this is family, this is home, this is where you want to be, right? And this morning, I, I'm mindful of people that have gone through this church. Evelyn Perry recently. The only church Evelyn Perry knew was Lamar Avenue Church of Christ. I want you to think about that for a minute. How many of you in here have been to five or more churches in your life? Raise your hand. I mean for a period of time. See, that's a lot, and I'm not knocking that this morning. Evelyn lived here, and she chose, she fought hard, but boy, she said, she dug those heels in, I guarantee you, she wasn't going to let anything or anybody let her leave her church. I love that. I miss that. Boy, don't you miss Evelyn at the front door? Don't you miss her smile and handing you the bulletin and that greeting? I miss that. And oh my goodness, I miss Horace Johnson so much. Sue, goodness, cannot imagine what you're going through. But in such a short time, what that man teach us? Man, it's not about himself. It's about, he knew he was a disciple of Jesus. But he also knew it was his role and his duty to go make disciples as well. And he did a great job with that. Never seen a man that could take a younger person and mold them and shape them and talk to them and influence them like Horace Johnson did. An amazing man. And oh, I'm going to be in trouble for even saying that when I get to heaven and he talks to me about that. You know why? Because Horace made it clear it's not about himself, but it's about so I want to challenge us this morning. It's not about you, church. It's about God. And it's about making the mystery of God known to other people. And so I'm challenging us this morning. Let's stay together, church. We can do this.
okay? Let's love each other more. Let's listen to each other more. Let's stop assuming things. You know, one thing I've learned as, I I don't know if this is a common thread for people or what, but we just don't give people benefit of the doubt very much, do we? You may. I'll be honest. I need to grow in that. My wife challenges me with that every day. How do you know that's what that person said? How do you know that's how they feel? Well, then I have to say, I don't know. Benefit of the doubt. So see, I'm preaching to me too. Let's do it, church. Let's grow up. Let's mature. Let's get over the pet peeves or whatever it is. And let's realize it's about Jesus. And we've got a precious lady this morning that we're fixing to baptize into Christ. Because she has seen in this place the love of God. And it's caused her to ask questions and to think about things in a different way. Isn't that great? That's what it's about. And we look forward to that this morning. We look forward to being on this journey together and celebrating the fact that we've been bought with a price and we've been redeemed. And we have an awesome place and responsibility and that vehicle that God uses for us to live that out is through the church. And the church said... Let's stand as we sing.